When you sign up for BP Me Rewards, you can get five cents off every gallon of gas every time at BP or Amico stations. That means more savings and more whatever you'd like to use your savings on. So treat yourself. It's on us. Visit bp.com slash save to learn more. Buffalo Wild Wings has specials on food from 3 to 6, Monday through Friday, and great deals on drinks all day. It's the perfect way to offset a long day. Text that hilarious joke about your boss to your boss. What? No, no. Try a $3 Wild Herd by Goose Island. Set your morning alarm for 6 p.m. That calls for $5 strawberry margaritas. So if you ask your phone why you're still single and... Ha, ha, ha. Seriously? Head to Buffalo Wild Wings. At participating locations, taxes and fees apply. Dine-in only. Drink responsibly. Offers vary by location. Void where prohibited. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. The X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. All-Hit Radio! Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome to the Exxon, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I'm your host and your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exxon, a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the Exxon comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Digital Satellite Network, and iHeartRadio. If you'd like to send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, TV, And to find out about the programming we have available for you 24-7-365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, just go to www.xzbn.com. xzbn.net. Sorry about that. A form, um, I guess this hour is Mark Shaw, Exxon Nation. He is a former criminal defense lawyer and legal analyst for CNN, ESPN, and USA Today. For the Mike Tyson, O.J. Simpson, and Kobe Bryant cases, Mark Shaw is an investigative reporter and author of 25 books, including The Poison Patriarch, Miscarriage of Justice, and Beneath the Mask of Holiness. Mark, uh, Mark who's, um, let me see, whose novel... Courage in the Face of Evil will be released in April, uh, has written for USA Today, Huffington Post, and Aspen Daily News. And if you'd like to find out more about our guest this hour, www.thereporterwhonewtomuch.com. Joining me now is Mark Shaw. And Mark, welcome to the X-Zone. Hey, Rob. Thank you so much. Uh, tell me, uh, you know, I have to ask you this uh, start-off question because of the sure. work that you've done is... Why is it after 50 years plus, the JFK assassination is still the greatest murder mystery in history? Well, you know, that's an that's a, a interesting question, and I'm, I'm sure your listeners will all have their own idea about mm-hmm. that. Um, and, and it fits perfectly because uh, I started, uh, you know, getting interested in it. I never was before when I wrote a book about, oh, uh, almost 10 years ago, about Melvin Belli, who represented Jack Ruby, who shot Lee Harvey Oswald. And people have asked me, well, how'd you get into that? Well, I knew Mr. Belli, and so I decided to write a book about him. But Mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, I, I wasn't interested in it. I, I think it's Jack Kennedy, John Kennedy. Um, if this had been, a, you know, um, the murder of another president of some sort, uh, you know, without JFK's charisma, mm-hmm. uh, without Camelot, without Jackie, without the whole Kennedy family, the mystery of the whole Kennedy family and, right. the, and the mystique of, of JFK in office and sharing girlfriends with mobsters and, you mm-hmm. know, just Joe Kennedy, the... The, the the bootlegger who made the millions and Bobby and all of that I think that's why I think it's just the greatest murder mystery in history because it, it's JFK if it was someone else uh, you know Jimmy Carter or let's say or J or Lyndon Johnson or somebody like that I'm not so sure uh, people would be that interested but uh, this case is still on the lips of many people as we've discovered uh, through this new book about Dorothy Kilgallen now of the assassination documents released by the government in October. Mm-hmm. Can you pinpoint a few that are helping to unravel the mystery, including those dealing with conspiracy theories? Well, sure, and I wish there were more, Rob. Uh, it's just hard to believe. You know, people expect transparency in their government, mm-hmm. and yet we don't have it. And we didn't have it 50 years ago when we'll talk about Dorothy Kilgallen. We don't have it now. Very disappointing that uh, this guy who's uh, the leader of our uh, country, um, and I don't want to get into that too much, but... You know, uh, only released uh, part of the documents. Uh, I mean, 50 years mm-hmm. later, Rob, come on. I mean, what, what can be in those documents that can cause a lot of problems unless there's uh, true government corruption and that kind of thing, which is very possible. But uh, I, looked, I looked through them carefully uh, because, again, uh, the reporter knew too much, which is a true crime murder mystery about Dorothy right. Kilgallen's investigation of the JFK assassination. I look for clues in there that would deal with Dorothy's theory, which we can talk about uh, a little bit about the assassinations, her 18-month investigation, uh, to look for things that um, you know were of interest to me because of what she had written about. And as, as we'll talk about, I think she's the most credible reporter to have ever covered the JFK assassination because she was there. She was at the Jack Ruby trial. She interviewed Ruby. I mean, we can talk about that. But uh, two or three things I'd point out. Number one, uh, there was a document that basically, an FBI document that basically said what we uh, knew at the time mm-hmm. or what people uh, could see at the time, uh, and that was J. Edgar Hoover launching that absurd uh, Oswald alone theory that he tried to get everybody to buy, and most people did. Uh, there's an FBI document that basically says, and I summarized just a little bit, uh, Hoover is telling all the agents, uh, we must make sure that the American people believe that Lee Harvey Oswald assassinated the president and only Lee Harvey Oswald. So that was the first one that caught my attention because uh, Dorothy, seven days after JFK died, wrote a column called uh, The Oswald File Must Not Close. I mean, she didn't buy all that, and Mm -hmm. we can get into that in a minute. There were a couple others. One was that Jack Ruby was very, very friendly with the... Um, Dallas Police Department. I think the words were that he had a great in with the police department. And you may remember that the Warren Commission completely demolished that idea that Ruby had any friends in the Dallas Police Department. I mean, it was absurd to think that he didn't. Um, I interviewed Bill Alexander, who prosecuted Ruby, and he told me, hey, uh, Jack would walk down the halls of the police department, and people would say, hey, Jack, hey, Jack, how you doing? And they all came to his carousel club and all of that. And so... Uh, you know, Dorothy knew that as well. And then the third one I would tell you is that it's come from another source, and that is that, um, uh, like your listeners, uh, who I, I hope will will uh, let me know if they find out any new information about the uh, JFK assassination, especially with regard to Dorothy Kilgallen. But I had one reader uh, in Fresno who got in touch with me, and I didn't find any of this in the uh, JFK files, but... Um, uh, he found the uh, Jack Ruby trial transcripts, which have never been released before, and has authorized me to put those in a follow-up book. And there's some fascinating material in there. And as I say, Dorothy Kilgallen is right there in that trial, so she listened to some of this. But one of them is that uh, there's a there's a parking. You'll, I think you'll find this interesting. There's a parking lot attendant uh, across the street from uh, the Carousel Club, Ruby's Club, and he says that on the Saturday before. Oswald was shot, uh, Ruby came over and used the pay phone there. And this guy listened, and he seems like a credible witness, uh, that Ruby asked when uh, Oswald would be transferred and then said, and I will be there. So that really puts into uh, perspective the ludicrous notice notion that Ruby just happened to be in the Dallas Police Department 
when when uh, Oswald was transferred. So but, but how can, there's some good material out there. But how can we say for certain that the conversation that that uh, Ruby was having on the phone was directly, you know, he was talking about the transfer of of Oswald to the, uh, you know, from the Dallas Police Department. Isn't it possible that he was talking about something else? Well, this is, again, this is trial testimony under oath, so yeah. people can make up their own mind. That's what I like to do in my books. I, I present all the facts, and then people mm-hmm. can make up their own minds. But uh, this seems pretty credible to me, uh, reading the testimony. Uh, right. But again, all of that material was just uh, completely ignored by the Warren Commission. All right, let me, let's go back a, little, a step or two. Tell me about Dorothy Kilgallen. Who is she? Well, you know, uh, you mentioned I've written a lot of books, and I have, and you, you just never know, Rob, uh, what can happen. Uh, I wasn't going to write this book. I had no intention of writing this book at all, and, and God, you know, you know, I'm so pleased. It's become a bestseller, and we've just signed a deal to, for it to be a television series as a true crime murder mystery as to what happened to Dorothy. But I never intended to write the book, and I mentioned Melvin Belli before, and uh, while I was writing that book about Melvin Belli, I interviewed several people that knew him. And uh, they were talking about Belli's affection for the mafia and, you know, the question marks about uh, why uh, Ruby or why uh, uh, Melvin Belli used this uh, crazy uh, uh, insanity defense to, to defend Ruby and all of that. And so we're moving along. And he said, by the way, Mark, and this is a doctor in San Diego, said, by the way, Mark, uh, Melvin Belli knew Dorothy Kilgallen. And I said, well, how? And he said, well, he said, listen, you probably remember her from What's My Line. And I said, well, I certainly do. That was the hit television show on CBS for 15 years uh, on Sunday nights in the 50s and 60s. And she was the uh, kind of the prominent uh, panelist on that show. They tried to to, uh, they tried, if you'll remember, to guess occupations, strange Mm -hmm. occupations of people. And I said, well, yeah, that's what I remember. He said, oh, Mark, you know nothing about her. She was, yes, she was that star of that show. But also she uh, had a syndicated newspaper column, syndicated to uh, 200 newspapers across the country. She had a radio show listened to a million people. And she covered ma- many of the major criminal trials of the 20th century, including uh, uh, Dr. Sam Shepard, which became the uh, movie uh, The Fugitive, uh, the Lindbergh baby kidnapping uh, case, and also the Jack Ruby trial, and that's where Bell I met her. And I said, really? He said, yes, and you know, it's pretty strange. He said, when Dorothy died, Bell I said, they've killed Dorothy, now they'll go after Jack Ruby. They've killed Ruby, now they'll go after Jack Ruby. And, you know, I'm a curious guy like you, Rob. I, I did a little research on you, and, and, and you're a man of the truth, and you also are a curious guy. And, and if, you know, I couldn't let that, uh, that quote go by. Sure. So what I did is start to, to look into Kilgallen's life and her life and times and her death and all that happened to her uh, based on that quote that I couldn't get out of my mind. The Warren Commission. You know, there, there's been so much talk about the War, Warren Commission, what they did, what they didn't do, what they kind of fluffed mm-hmm. aside. What, as, as an attorney yourself, and as somebody who's, who's done research into the JFK assassination and, and looked at these trial transcripts that have yet to be released, what is your professional opinion of the Warren Commission? Well, you have to remember at that particular time, uh, now the excuse will be that, uh, you know, those people in the Warren Commission mm-hmm. and J. Edgar Hoover all wanted to make sure that the American, uh, gover- uh, the American people and people around the world felt safe. If there was any sort of a conspiracy or a group of people who were involved or anything like that, and they might still be out there, and if they killed JFK, I mean, you're going to frighten a lot of people that way. But, um, you know, from the start, I think there was uh, the, the feeling that there was going to be, that there was a lack of responsibility, taking responsibility for JFK's death. Uh, you have to go back a little bit to the 1960 election to understand what happened here. All right, why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? We've got to take a commercial break. When we come back, let's go back to the 1960 election. Sure. All right, Exonation, my guest this hour is Mark Shaw. His website, two websites, the Dorothy Kilgallen Story.org and the reporter who knew too much.com. And uh, Mark and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break. 
as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget, Exxon Nation, you can always uh, check out of what we're doing, what shows we have available for you, 724-365, by going to www.xzbn.net. Do you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Welcome back, everyone. This is the X-Zone. I am Rob McConnell, coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My guest this hour is Mark Shaw, and his websites are thedorothykilgallenstory.com.org. I'm sorry, that's thedorothykilgallenstory.org, and thereporterwhoknewtomuch.com. Mark, let's go back in time like uh, like Mr. Peabody and Sherman did in the Wayback Machine. Go back to 1960 uh, to the JFK election. Oh, I love those guys. Yeah, they were great. Um, well, here's here's what happened. I wrote the book about Melvin Belli, King of the Courtroom. Mm-hmm. It was a success. Then I decided, because I knew about Belli's affiliation with the mafia and his uh, representation of the gangster Mickey Cohen and all that, I wondered about his representation of Jack Ruby. So I wrote a second book called The Poison Patriarch. And that was about Joe Kennedy and the Kennedys and all of that. And that uh, moved back into the area of 1960. People remember in 1960... Uh, it was Richard Nixon and, and JFK. Yeah. And Joe Kennedy was a smart guy. He wanted to be president himself, but he couldn't be. So he, uh, because of his um, affection for Adolf Hitler uh, when he was ambassador to Great Britain, so he wanted one of his sons to be president with all his money and everything. So JFK ran. And it was a close election, and uh, he knew JFK was going to lose. If they didn't win Illinois and uh, West Virginia, those two states, they were done. Well, Joe used some of his um, uh, links to the mafia through Frank Sinatra, and they uh, convinced the uh, mafia that, uh, hey, you help us win Illinois and uh, West Virginia with your money and power, and then when we get in the White House, uh, we'll leave you guys alone. Well, that's what happened. Uh, The mafia uh, helped them. They won those two states, and JFK became president. But after that election... Uh, uh, Joe Kennedy hated those mafia guys, and so he actually uh, had a a witness who was right there when uh, Joe Kennedy uh, ordered JFK to appoint Bobby Kennedy attorney general. And predictably, uh, Bobby Kennedy, who wanted to make a big name for himself, went after those guys, specifically Carlos Marcello, who was the um, mafia don in New Orleans. So, um, you know, uh, you you have to go back to that to understand then what happened uh, with the JFK assassination. And in the book, The Reporter Who Knew Too Much, these are not my words. These are Dorothy Kilgallen's words, who was, as I say, uh, unlike all of the people who've written about the JFK assassination, including myself, 
she was there. We weren't there. So she's an eyewitness to history. She sat right there at the Ruby trial and all of this, and she figured this all out. Uh, she was a very powerful New York Post called her the most powerful female voice in America, and she was a powerhouse, and she figured all this out. Well, she's going one way, believing that the Oswald theory, alone theory, is ludicrous, but J. Edgar Hoover is shouting Oswald alone. Why is he doing that? Because if, in fact, there's any sort of conspiracy or whatever, it makes him culpable because he's the one who ha uh, should have known about other people uh, who might have killed the president. So uh, he's shouting that. And then, uh, he, you know, I told you about that document that was just re been released right. where he says we have to convince the American people it was Oswald alone. Well, then that filters up into the Warren Commission because J. Edgar Hoover is basically running that whole thing. He's protecting what's going on with the Warren Commission. He's only feeding them information that he wants to feed them. And so those poor saps that are on that Warren Commission, I mean, Dorothy Kilgallen was never interviewed. Many people weren't who anybody who had any, uh, you know, theories or facts or anything that was against the Oswald alone theory were not permitted to, to uh, that information was not permitted to the Warren Commission people. So it was a farce, basically. And I think through the years, uh, we found that most people believe that's what happened, that uh, it was a slam dunk, it was a rubber stamp uh, for J. Edgar Hoover, uh, that for some way, some, way, some reason, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald orchestrated alone uh, the killing of JFK. Unreal. Unreal. Let me ask you, let me ask you this question. In your opinion, why was JFK assassinated? Well, again, uh, former criminal defense lawyer, and so I'll go to motive. Okay. And, and you have to look at motive. Now, everybody has, you know, gone towards Lee Harvey Oswald. What was the motive? Well, that's a dead end. He's, there's so much complex information about him, nobody could ever figure out anything. You look at LBJ. Well, he became president, so mm -hmm. that's a pretty good motive, but uh, there's so many layers involved with uh, pointing at LBJ as the, uh, as the person who masterminded the assassinations that, uh, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense, and I don't think Dorothy Kilgallen believed it did. Uh, the CIA, the, the government, the, uh, you know, the, uh, Dorothy looked into that, and, and she just felt like in her own mind that that didn't uh, provide the strongest motive. What, what was the strongest motive? Well, uh, Marcello is sitting out there in, uh, in New Orleans, and he's saying to himself, Joe Kennedy double-crossed me. Joe, uh, Bobby Kennedy is now coming after me. He's deported me once, and he's trying to do it again. He has me in a racketeering trial in New Orleans as November 1963 comes along. I can't just stand by with this, so here's the deal. I could kill Bobby Kennedy, and uh, obviously I hate him, and I, would have him, uh, I could kill him or have him killed. But then JFK is going to come after me with everything the government has. But wait a second. If I kill JFK, then Bobby Kennedy is powerless. And, Rob, that's exactly what happened. Hmm. Uh, the uh, the uh, authorities, the uh, FBI, the, uh, you know, nobody uh, came after those guys again. They, they, were, they were just let off scot-free, and nobody bothered them at all. So uh, in that way, you have to think about, well, who won? Well, in fact... Uh, the mafia people won, but especially Marcello, who Marcello, who was never bothered again. So, common sense motive uh, is what uh, you know. I think um, you know drove uh, the killing of JFK, and it's really sad. I mean, JFK died at uh, what 44. Dorothy Kilgallen, as you'll learn as we talk about, died at 44 or at 52. Uh, neither of those two uh, people should have died, and especially JFK. So why do you think everybody is, is so focused on Oswald instead of dealing with Jack Ruby? Yeah. Is, is Jack Ruby the, the smoking gun in this case? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, again, I, I'll just tell you again, uh, you know, I, the words in this book, The Reporter Who Knew Too Much, are mm -hmm. Dorothy Kilgallen's. Uh, people can go to that, DorothyKilgallenStory.org. They can read all of her columns. They can read all of the quotes that she had about the case, uh, the JFK assassination. They can look at more than 50 videotaped interviews of the people that knew Dorothy the best and make up their own mind with regard to what she's saying. But she right away couldn't figure out in her own mind how Oswald could have pulled all this off. It just didn't make sense to her. Uh, you'll see six or seven columns that she wrote that just common sense-wise, it didn't make any sense to her. And so what did she do? She focused on Ruby because she believed that he was the key 
to understanding what happened. And she knew about his mafia affiliation. She mm-hmm. knew about his connection with Marcello in, in uh, New Orleans. I mean, she told people she was going to blow the lid off of this case. It was the case of a lifetime. Uh, and she told people if the wrong people knew what I know about the JFK assassination, it would cost me my life. I'm afraid for my life and my family. I mean, she, she was on the, right tar- uh, on the right track with regard to all of it because she was the one who focused on Ruby while everybody else was going on the ro- in the other direction, uh, focus- focusing on Oswald, who was, you know, I think in, in many ways, uh, you know, more of a fascinating character, the unknown part of him. Was it the Russians? Was it the Cubans? Was it this? Was it that? So, um, you know, many people went that direction, and instead of Dorothy, uh, who, who really looked at it, Jay, hey, wait a minute, uh, who's the key to all, key to all of this? And, and that was Ruby. We had uh, Judith Very Baker on the show, Oswald's mm-hmm. girlfriend, and she told us point blank that Oswald worked for the CIA. Well, he may have, see? He may, he may have worked for the Cubans. He may yeah. have worked for so many different people, but nobody's ever going to figure out all of that stuff. That, that, that's what I say. I, you know, is the truth ever going to come out? I, I, you know, people ask me all the time, well, all I can say is just read Dorothy's account, you know, and, and then, of course, what happened to her, because... I think if you realize what happened to her, that she did not uh, commit suicide, that she was not a- deny an accidental death of barbiturates, but in fact was murdered, I think that speaks for itself that her investigation is, in fact, the most uh, credible of any investigation of the JFK assassination in history. Then why don't we hear more about her side of the story instead of the other side? Well, you're such a good questioner. Well, you know, here's, here's what happened. Uh, Dorothy had made one trip to New Orleans after mm-hmm. Jack Ruby uh, permitted that interview. And so he went to, she went to New Orleans. She found new information about Marcello. She had connected he and Ruby, and I even think she connected uh, Oswald to that. So she's writing this book for Random House, and she's making a second trip to uh, New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And uh, she tells people that she's going to meet somebody there who has new information for her and all of that. Uh, she's writing this book. She has this thick investigative file with all of her facts and, and uh, conclusions in there. Um, again, she's the only person to have, have interviewed Ruby twice. She exposed her his uh, Warren Commission testimony before it was to be uh, released, so that was a big deal. So she had the real inside story of, of all that was happening. And um, in, in November of uh, 1965, she was all ready to write that book. Mm-hmm. And uh, those who were threatened by that uh, just couldn't let her write that book. So what happened is, on November 8, 1965, Dorothy Kilgallen was found in a bedroom she never, in her townhouse, in a bedroom she never slept in, uh, wearing clothes she never wore to bed. Uh, she had on uh, makeup, uh, a hairpiece, and uh, um, false eyelashes she never wore to bed. There was a book on her lap that she'd read before. Mm-hmm. Uh, just without, you know, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure out that there's some sort of a, of a staged death scene there. Well, what happens? The, um, the uh, medical examiner, uh, not from the Manhattan branch in, uh, in New York City, but from the Brooklyn branch, which um, I, I was able to find uh, primary witnesses who were right there that uh, talk about that branch in Brooklyn being uh, controlled by the mafia. Uh, they came to uh, Kilgallen's uh, townhouse. Uh, they found an empty bottle of Secanol on a table there by her bed and just immediately decided that she had dry, uh, died of an uh, overdose of barbiturates. An autopsy was then performed. That autopsy uh, report is in the book. It's never been published before. And they basically decided she died of uh, a Secanol overdose with alcohol. Uh, that was published in the paper. Uh, that was what everybody thought happened. There was absolutely no investigation by the New York Police Department, which is just hard to believe based on that stage death scene. But basically, uh, Rob, she disappeared from the face of the earth, despite her popularity and her fame and being so powerful and everything. Uh, nobody came forward, not her family, not her colleagues at What's My Line, not her journalist friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of those people came forward. Because why? Well, they thought, they knew Dorothy was working on the JFK assassination, all right, if uh, the same people that killed uh, JFK killed Dorothy, then they don't want to come forward. They're all scared, and they don't do anything. And so basically, uh, until I discovered this new evidence that we can talk about that points towards murder, uh, Dorothy Kilgallen uh, disappeared from the face of the earth. And, and I should say, 
all of these books out there that have been written, um, Vincent Bugliosi, um, you know, uh, Gerald Posner, uh, even Stephen King, all these other kind of people who've written about the JFK assassination, you don't find anything in there about Dorothy Kilgallen. All right, stand by. We've got to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Exxon Nation, Mark Shaw is our guest. www.thedorothykilgallenstory.org and thereporterwhoknewtomuch.com. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And um, don't forget, you can always find out what's going on on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net, and send me your emails, exxon at com. Mark and I return on the other side of this break. After the news, don't go away. including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. Mark Shaw is my guest, Exonation, www.thedorothykilgallenstory.org and thereporterwhoknewtomuch.com. Mark, let me ask you something here. If Dorothy Kilgallen was so afraid of you know, reprisal or repercussions for her investigation, why did she keep on telling people what she was doing? Why didn't she seek protection if she felt that her life was threatened? Well, uh, this is, that's the most interesting question, uh, and, and uh, I want to start by saying there's a bit of a paranormal uh, aspect of this book, and I think your, your listeners should know about it. Um, I wasn't going to write this book, as I say, mm-hmm. but uh, I felt like somebody was just kind of tapping me on the shoulder, and uh, the person that tapped me on the shoulder, I am certain, was Dorothy Kilgallen. Uh, for whatever reason, and I'm, I'm honored that she did, I think mm-hmm. she chose me to write this book. And I can only tell you, and I'll give you a couple of examples if you'd like them. Sure, please. Um, of, of, throughout the writing of this book, I felt like Dorothy was right there with me, uh, that she was guiding me along. Uh, a couple times I thought, maybe there's not enough here, and then I would find something. And I just felt like Dorothy um, had chosen me, uh, you know, her voice from, from the hereafter, that uh, she was uh, leading me along uh, with regard to all of this. And um, I'm not sure why, because nobody ever wrote about this. There was a book in the 70s, but it was very incomplete. So once I tackled this, I I felt like that I needed to see what I could really find out about uh, Dorothy. And uh, what I'm going to tell you leads to uh, uh, your question, which is, you know, why did she make herself uh, such a target and not do something about it? Well, you know, Dorothy was... Uh, there's nobody can touch her with regard to a media icon, and that's in the subtitle of the book. 
uh, not Oprah, not Diane Sawyer, nobody. She had this multifaceted uh, media career with What's My Line, mm-hmm. uh, with the radio show, with syndicated to 200 na- newspapers when that's where people got most of their news. She covered those famous trials and the Jack Ruby trial, of course, as well. I mean, she was on top. She had this bully pulpit uh, and all of that. And uh, the way I'm able to tell you that is because I think, again, Dorothy led me along. At one particular point, I thought, you know, I've got to find some people who knew Dorothy Kilgallen mm-hmm. here and, and can give me kind of an eyewitness feeling about her because I like primary sources. I don't like to speculate in my books and all of that. So at one point, I thought, I don't know how I'm going to do this. That's a long time ago, 50-plus years. And, you know, that thought was in my mind, and one night during the, the, uh, during the middle of the night, for some reason, uh, this idea came to me that maybe I'll go look at the Internet and see if there's ever been any articles written about uh, Dorothy. And I found right away, and again, I think Dorothy pointed me there, uh, a book, uh, uh, an article called uh, Who Killed Dorothy Kilgallen in 2007. It was written in a magazine called Mid, uh, Midwest Today. And they uh, focused on celebrities born in the Midwest, and Dorothy was uh, born in, in, uh, in Chicago before they moved to New York City, and she became a newspaper woman there. So I uh, went to that site, and I found this article, and oh my gosh, I was thrilled, because I saw that her two best friends, who were her hairdressers, uh, the last woman to appear on, uh, the, the woman who appeared on What's My Line, the last show that Dorothy did, mm-hmm. and also Joe Tonahill who was the co-counsel for Jack Ruby. They were all quoted in this article, as well as a guy named Ron Pataki, who was uh, very romantically involved with Kilgallen near the end of her life. And I thought, oh, boy. I mean, you can just imagine, Rob, how excited I was. So I called this publisher, and I said, you know, this is wonderful. I would love to interview these people. And he said, well, Mark, I have some bad news. They're all dead. Mm. And the silence was there. My heart dropped, and he said, but I have some good news. There was a woman in Los Angeles and her colleague who were so passionate about, uh, Kil- obsessed with Kilgallen's death, they interviewed those people and they videotaped the interviews. And he said, I'm going to give you the name of this woman in L.A., and he did. And it took me almost six months, Rob, to get her to trust me with those videos. And all of them are up there on the DorothyKilgallenStory.org. And so... Uh, Charles Sinclair, her her closest friend, I think, and Mark, uh, I mean, see, I'm sorry, Charles Simpson and Mark Sinclair, the two hairdressers. Um, uh, Joe Tonahill is up there. Catherine Stone, the, the last woman, the, the person who was on Kilgallen's final What's My Line? They, all those interviews were there, and there's 50 or 60 of them that people can look at that are quoted, and they're all in the book. So that was a, a huge break in this case. But I came to realize from what they told me, and I'm now getting to your question, that Dorothy really thought she was invincible. Uh, She was so big, yeah, she bought a gun and she changed her will and all of that, but she thought she was invincible. And she was scared, all of that, but she couldn't shut up about this. Uh, One listener uh, put me in touch with a a woman in uh, Illinois, for instance, who waited on Dorothy Kilgallen the night uh, before she died at P.J. Clark's, which is a a big-time um, pub in, in uh, New York City. And I, I went there with my research and sat right where Dorothy sat. And this woman told me that basically Dorothy was talking about the, Dorothy, uh, the uh, JFK assassin and that assassination to anybody that would listen. So she couldn't keep her mouth shut about it. But I think these enemies who had circled, as I say, the book is set up as a true crime murder mystery with uh, five or six suspects, including her husband, Frank Sinatra, Carlos Marcello, uh, Frank, you know, excuse me, um, uh, um, you know, Marcello, and then J. Edgar Hoover, all of these people. But the enemies were circling because they could not let her write that book for Random House. And you may be wondering why. Well, if, if what Dorothy um, uncovered, the investigation uh, facts that she found, if that was printed in a book, that would have, in my opinion, and I think other people's, triggered a grand jury investigation. And Marcello, Hoover, all of those people that were, uh, could be held culpable for what happened to JFK, they couldn't let her write that book. All right. With all, the, with all the information that is available to us these days online and the mm-hmm. hacking that is going on, how come nobody has come forward with any facts that would blow this entire case and put it back into proper perspective? 
Is it possible that the facts that everybody believe are there are not there? Well, you just have to be careful with all these wild theories and everything. People get carried away with those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we proved through forensics that Dorothy had three barbiturates in her system, not one. Right. Uh, she wasn't about to commit suicide. She was at the top of her career, and she uh, had a movie based on the book coming. Um, as far as accidental death go, we show in the, in, the, um, in the book how that was impossible. So the woman was murdered. And maybe that's the most compelling reason why her investigation is the most uh, credible of any in history, because, um, you know, uh, she was killed for it. So people can kind of just uh, really follow Dorothy along. And, and how, many rep- how many people have told me, I've gotten more than 500 emails across the, across the world from mm-hmm. people who've gained a new respect for Dorothy. They wish they had a reporter like her today. Uh, the book's become a bestseller, as I said. And, and you know what Dorothy did, Rob? Here's, here's something novel for you. She went out there and found the facts and presented her conclusions with regard to what happened. Well, in today's... Um, news world. It's just the opposite most of the time. Uh, these these uh, fly-by-night uh, journalists and, and one, one trying to get one-upsmanship uh, uh, before anybody else gets the, the facts out there, they just come up with a conclusion that they want, and then they fit the facts to those, whether those facts are really true or not. So um, Dorothy wasn't like that. She was a reporter of integrity, as people will learn, and that's why I'd strongly urge them to, to read the book, The Reporter Who Knew Too Much. I don't care if they buy it. They can get it at libraries all over the place uh, or whatever. But um, read it and then look at all the videos and everything, and then they can make up their own mind because uh, there are hundreds, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of theories out there, but I think Dorothy's is the most credible. With the information that you came up with uh, pertaining to the mm-hmm. death of Dorothy, how come there hasn't been a reinvestigation into her death? Well, there has. Um, against uh, all odds, uh, my agent said that I was crazy because the New York uh, District Attorney's Office uh, would say that I was uh, that they had uh, 12 murders in the Bronx last night, so they wouldn't want to get into this. But in January, I sent a letter to Cyrus Vance Jr. at the New York Police Department, and um, they agreed to look into this. And there was a an article in the New York Post that uh, announced that uh, that fact. And I remember the reporter telling me there were more than 235,000 hits on that article because, you know, Dorothy Kilgallen's name is still magic today. I mean, uh, sure, people remember from What's My Line, but there are all the reruns on What's My Line on the Internet and all of that. And so um, uh, we, we uh, made an agreement where I would provide them with facts and information that I had, and I did that until June. Then I went to New York City, uh, met with the chief investigator assigned to uh, Dorothy's case, Uh, gave him new information and all of that, and as of August, we were in business. I mean, they were really moving forward, supposedly, with looking into things and all of this. And then all at once, um, I was told that, hey, for several different reasons, they just couldn't go any further with this, whether it was too time-consuming, whether, uh, you know, uh, it was too expensive, the investigation, whether they, you know, hadn't followed up on a lot of things. I I was just shocked that all at once they were going to drop this. And so I looked into it in terms of the witnesses that I had given them to uh, interview, documents to be received and all of that, or to to be secured and all of that, and found out they'd done pretty much nothing. So uh, we've uh, tried to get uh, information through a Freedom of of Information uh, request in terms of exactly what they did, but so far uh, they've they've kind of stonewalled all of that. But um, I won't give up. I'm the voice for Dorothy, and one way or another I'm going to get the justice for her that she deserves. You know, I understand that you're the voice for Dorothy, but it seems that very few people have ever heard her connections to the JFK assassination. Uh, you know, people hear about Harv, Lee Harvey Oswald. They hear about, mm-hmm. you know, the the mob connection. They hear about J, uh, no, John Johnson. They hear about the mm-hmm. uh, director of the FBI, the Cuban connection, and, and, and so on. Mm-hmm. Is there any... Is there any sense in following this case with Dorothy? Well, I just make up your own mind. I, I, all I can say is, uh, you know, make up your own mind. I mean, the truth is a, uh, it's tough to find uh, many times. And, uh, you know, I, I happened on this story, and mm-hmm. uh, Dorothy, I think, uh, led me along, as I say. But, uh, 
you know, as I said, the books become a bestseller. There are thousands and thousands of people around the world who have just uh, said, hey, wait a minute, boy, you know, she was, she was it. And she had discovered, uh, you know, what seems to be the truth as to what happened and all of that. So many times we kind of have to go down uh, uh, these alleys and, and narrow streets and all of that instead of staying on the highway because, you know, we're at a time in, in, our, in, in the United States and, and perhaps in, in Canada as well and around the world where we really need to question things, um, you know, and not believe everything that comes out of the newsroom and, and on the Internet and mm-hmm. all of that. And um, I'm pleased to say that uh, this book, like others, is a stop-and-think book. Uh, you can read what Dorothy found out. It's not my words, hers. And I think the most compelling part of this, Rob, is these videotapes. Uh, these are very credible witnesses. I mean, Joe Tonahill talks about the Ruby interviews and how sharp uh, Dorothy's mind was just before she died. The two hairdressers, one who found her body, describes that. And they talk about, uh, you know, how much, uh, how she investigated the JFK assassination and how credible that investigation was. These are people, again, that were right there. They have no reason to lie about this. So, um, you know, I just, I'll put Dorothy up against about anybody uh, in terms of uh, the fact uh, that uh, her investigation is so credible because, remember, she was there. There's videotape of her on the, on the uh, DorothyKilgallenStory.org at a news conference with Joe Tonahill and, and uh, Melvin Belli. Mm-hmm. There's photographs of her at the trial. There's all this uh, evidence that Dorothy was there. All right, and stand we've never by. had anybody like that. All right, so, stand by. We've got to take yeah. our final break for this sure. hour. Mark uh, Shaw is our guest, Exonation, the DorothyKilgallenStory.org, and uh, the reporter who knew too much.com. We'll be back on the other side of this break as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon. Don't go away. Earth is under ever-increasing pressure from untenable lifestyles and growing populations. Yet, viable answers seem in short supply. What if I told you there's an ancient form that can empower you to take charge of your life? What if your entire family could be enfolded and supported by life itself, finding safe passage through challenging times? I'm Gwilda Wiecka, founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Arts School with Great News, an upcoming series of leading-edge online affordable classes based in an ancient form of shamanism easily learned and used by your entire family. Galactic Shamanism, Art of the Ancients, Key to Tomorrow are a series of online adult and children's lessons instructing your entire family on natural law, how to cooperate with and be supported by the powers of the universe. Visit findyourpathhome.com to find these unique and powerful classes. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Mark Shaw is my guest, Exo Nation, uh, Dorothy Kilgallen, story.org, and the reporter who knew too much.com. Mark, the fact that the New York City Police Department don't do, do, decided to drop the investigation into the Dorothy mm-hmm. Kilgallen case after the information that you supplied with them, what does this tell you? 
well, you know, there's a cover-up in 1965, and then three years later, these toxicologists who kept Dorothy's uh, bodily fluids, they found finally the three barbiturates in her in her uh, system. So mm-hmm. you had a cover-up there with regard to not exposing all of that at that particular time. Uh, I don't know. Uh, the New York District Attorney's Office uh, is is hiding something. Uh, people may say, why why is this case you know important today? Well. You know, uh, the JFK assassination is history, and there's been so much distortion of history. And so I think it's important to take Dorothy's account into, into um, uh, put, bring it into the equation so that people can just think about what she did. But uh, nobody wants uh, a cover-up. Uh, nobody wants uh, problems with transparency. Again, we have that with the problem with the JFK files uh, still not fully being disclosed. But, um, you know, this, there's government corruption, I think, again, in, in this situation. That New York District Attorney's Office found something that they don't want anybody to know. And I'll, I'll tell you what I think it is. When Dorothy Kilgallen died, her JFK assassination file, which she kept with her and showed to uh, one of the panelists there at What's My Line on the night before she died, mm-hmm. and showed him also some excerpts from the book she was writing, disappeared when she died. Uh, I was able, and the paperback, uh, uh, you know, paperback edition of the reporter who knew too much was released uh, in October, and I put some updates in there. And one of them was this, Rob. I was able to find Dorothy Kilgallen's uh, butler's daughter, who lives in New York City, and uh, flew out to New York City and interviewed her uh, for about four hours. And she told me some remarkable things that she had learned from her father and some documents and things like that. And one of the, one of the things that she told me was that between the time Dorothy's body was found and when the police department came and the, um, medical examiner, FBI agents were in the home and carried out boxes of Dorothy's documents and papers. Now, we were supposed to believe that the JFK assassination file that she kept and only a co- just kept it, no copy or anything. Back then, she couldn't go down to Kinko's and make copies. She kept it with her all the time. We're supposed to believe that her husband found it, and, uh, and he said, at least to some people back then, that he, he destroyed it. Well, I came up with a primary witness who says that she would have never in any way uh, provided uh, Richard with that, that she would have hidden it and she would have probably let... Uh, members of her family know. Well, regardless, I don't think that it ever changed hands. I think when the FBI agents came that that JFK assassination file was one of the documents and papers that they took out. I filed Freedom of Information Act uh, requests with the FBI, and I got partial documents, but I've always felt that Dorothy's JFK assassination file could very well be in the FBI files. And my gut feeling here is Mm -hmm. that for whatever reason... Uh, the New York Police Department, the chief investigator there, and the ad- assistant district attorney who I spoke with, somehow or another discovered what I believed, and that is that that file is there. And for whatever reason, again, I suppose you can relate it to uh, the, FB- the um, JFK files not fully being released, that they don't believe that file should ever see the light of day, because, again, it reflects badly on the government and what they covered up in 1963. Let me let so me ask you, let me ask that's you this. My hunch. Let me ask you this. Why would the FBI be involved in a New York homicide? Say that again. Why would the FBI, a federal, a, you know, uh-huh. the fe, the federal yep. uh, law enforcement agency under the the uh-huh. uh, Department of of Justice, why would they be interested in a New York City homicide? Well, it's Dorothy Kilgallen, and Dorothy so? Kilgallen is the only reporter out there who is going against the grain with, uh, uh, with the J. Edgar Hoover. You know, basically, he, he committed uh, obstruction of justice, uh, Hoover did. I think that's, that's a given uh, in terms of, of everything that he did to smother that investigation. And now we have that one file, Rob, that's in those JFK files that says he was absolutely doing that. Well, he can't afford to have... Uh, Dorothy Kilgallen uh, used that investigation file and and then include that material in a book. That's going to expose him, and there'll probably be a grand jury investigation. He very well could have been indicted at that particular time. So he's got a real interest in this. All right, I, I, now, I, I can understand was, that. I can understand that. But why would the city of New York Police Department allow the FBI to take jurisdiction on a homicide? That, to me, makes well, no sense. 
Uh, I'm telling you right now, I mean, the, the power of the FBI back there, maybe today that might be different, but boy, back then, uh, J. Edgar Hoover was king. All right, and if he told the New York Police Department to go uh, wait on the street, they would have done that. No right, question it, about it. In the, in the homicide report by the New York City Police, is there mention of the FBI? Uh, no. Is there any mention of the FBI in the crime scene report? No, there's no investigation of any kind. There's no, okay, there's no so police wait, reports that you're talking about. There aren't any. But they never you, investigated. But you're wrong. talking about a homicide. As soon as a homicide is committed, there has to be a police report. It certainly should be, shouldn't there? But my, there wasn't. My question is, if there's no report, how can we say beyond a shadow of a doubt that the FBI were there, number one, and number two, that the FBI took boxes of possible evidence from a crime scene? We have a primary witness. Uh, How do you know the witness is telling you the truth? Witnesses, well, I interviewed her, and, witnesses and uh, I'll certainly stand by that. She was right there when it all happened, and, and she saw, her father saw what happened, and she has documents ah, yeah. to prove that. So her I'm, father? I'm sure where you have problems with that. Counselor? Witnesses lie all the time. She's got no reason to lie. Hey, she's part of a story. Well, again, we're probably not going to agree upon this, but uh, anyway, people can make up their own mind. They can they can read what she said, and and hopefully my reputation as a, an investigative reporter uh, makes a difference there as well. I mean, you just 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 remember uh, that, that we're not talking about today. We're talking about back then and a cover up that took place. And if J. Edgar Hoover tells those uh, investigators to jump, they're going to jump. All right, and but I believe uh, Brenda, and I think uh, readers, when they read her account of what happened, will believe that as well. All right. All I'm saying is that I find it very strange that a high-profile a high person is murdered in the city of New York, and there's no police report? They don't—you you have to remember that they're part of this. They're, they're not, the medical examiner's office is controlled by the mafia— uh, you know, back then, uh, we don't know what happened, but uh, think about this. And again, I, I assume you haven't read the book, but that's all right. Take a look at the, um, at the, at the stage death scene, all right? And uh-huh. all of the primary evidence that's in there and in the official autopsy report. And then ask yourself why there was no investigation. And I think that will, that will confirm the fact that uh, they didn't want a part of any investigation at that time. That time. Case closed. She uh, died accidentally, and that's what happened, and the truth has been buried for 50 years. All, all right. Okay. I'm, I'm not doubting your integrity as a, as a, as a reporter. Mm-hmm. I, am doubt, I am questioning a lot of the, the, the events that have allegedly taken place that, as a former law enforcement officer myself, make no sense to me. For example— Have you read the book, Rob? Can no, I wait a you? second. No, no, of course I haven't. Well, then, how can you speak to this, I please? Well, because common sense, common sense says that if somebody dies and there's an autopsy done, the, the death is suspicious. There has to be a police report. If there's no police report and somebody's saying that the FBI went in there, took out boxes of who knows what, and there's no direct link to the FBI except hearsay evidence from a second party, I, that doesn't make sense to me. Well, we're not going to agree about this, but but I will say this, Rob, if you don't mind, and I and again you don't sure. you're not questioning my integrity. Yeah. But how would how uh, why you would want to have an interview with an author about a book and not read the book? I do not know. Do you know how many interviews I do? I do twenty interviews. I don't a week. care. We've done many shows on the JFK assassination. This is the first time I've ever heard about this. I'm not doubting his integrity. But I am doubting the information because it does not make sense. If somebody is murdered, a high-profile case, this person is murdered, there's no report of it, allegedly. Allegedly, the FBI were there taking out these boxes. Why? Because. Do you know why? Because it it adds to the suspense. It adds to the, the, the theory that there is a conspiracy when it comes to the JFK assassination. It sells books. It sells books. And that's all it does. Fact or fiction? 
You be the judge. I don't know. People come on the show, they think I'm just going to sit here and, and be, be, you know, just, just awed at them because they wrote a book. If you can't answer my questions, don't get upset with me. Get upset with yourself because you, the author, who are taking words of the daughter of a butler, cannot answer my questions. And I'll say this again. It makes no sense to me that there is no police report in this matter. I'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. 